I support the Love Thy Neighbor podcast because of the relative and biblically sound content that is posted weekly by Apostle Anthony Wilson. I thoroughly enjoy the content where he brings on guests and have conversation about life in general and how we can live this faith walk daily. So for that reason, I will forever be a supporter of the Love Thy Neighbor podcast. Welcome to the Love Thy Neighbor podcast network, and I'm your host, Anthony Wilson. This week on Love Thy Neighbor we will be having a deep conversation about making biblical sense of our life with fellow podcaster Dave Abernathy. Dave is the host of the Our Common Salvation podcast. We're going to look at how to apply biblical truth to everyday life, reading the Bible in context, observing, finding the meaning, and then applying that meaning to our everyday life. Stay tuned, grab your Bibles, your Strong's Concordance, and get ready to learn how to make biblical sense of our life with Brother Dave Abernathy. God bless you and welcome to the Love Thy Neighbor podcast network. I'm your host, Anthony Wilson. And today on Love Thy Neighbor, we're going to have a good conversation with a good friend that I just met, Brother Dave Abernathy. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. How you doing, sir? I'm well. I'm well, Anthony. How are you? Good. I'm awesome. I'm awesome. Now, you are out in Minnesota. You guys got any snow out there? Because in Colorado, we're buried. <laughs> there's, you know, there's just a little bit left on the ground. Um, we got a, a late winter snow this time last week, and then it heated up back into the 40s and 50s, and most of it's gone now. Nice, nice. It's looking uh, like spring around here. Yeah, man. I, I figured, you know, you guys can relate to us. Because you you get genuine snow, but Colorado, we're we're our our weather's bipolar. It's it's man, <laughs> one day we can go through all four seasons in one day, be snowing in the morning, sunshine in the afternoon, rain then later on. So yeah, so we get it all, man. I'm glad to have you on here, man. We've had uh, some great conversations together, and I'm glad that um, I found your podcast. Um, what's the name of your podcast again? The podcast is called Our Common Salvation, and yeah. it comes from Jude, Jude chapter four. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome, and 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 that's important because that's how we come together. That's how we found each other is through our common yeah. salvation, and so I right. think that is fitting um, that we come together and do a podcast. The Love Thy Neighbor Podcast Network is about first of all, you know encouraging people to love God, right? And then love their neighbor, uh, but also networking with other believers that have that same desire and that same heart um, that are focused on sound biblical doctrine, um, historical biblical Christianity, um, and really focusing in on what does the word say and how do we live? And so first off, what's going on with you, man? What, who, who are you? I want you to just introduce yourself to the, 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 the audience. Happy to, happy to. So um, I'm, a, I'm a husband, first of all, married to Melissa for 21 years. Man. And uh, we have two children at home, Caleb and Mia. Caleb is 16 and Mia is 12, so a high schooler and a middle schooler. And I serve as a pastor uh, at a small evangelical free church in the far western suburbs of the Twin Cities. So 
about 30 miles due west of Minneapolis. Um, actually, it's more like maybe 25. It's, it's a 30-minute drive from downtown Minneapolis. Uh, the town is called Mound. It's in the Lake Minnetonka area, uh, just west of Wyzetta, for those who may know the Twin Cities a little bit. Um, been there uh, almost 16 years. I uh, came when I was 28, and I'm, I'm, I'm 44 now. So this church has uh, been very forbearing and allowed me to, to learn how to be a pastor Amen. over these years, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. Amen. And your, your story sounds a lot like a lot like mine. I've been pastoring the same church for 12 years. Um, um, started when I was 36 and now I'm 48, you know, so we're we're okay. some we're some old guys. No, <laughs> you, know, you know, that's what my kids say, like, Dad, you're old. You're old, Dad. And I'm like, well, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so um, definitely understand that. And, and I also been married uh, for 23 years. So, yeah, man, we're, we're real close, you know, in um, life experiences uh, from that standpoint. Um, what do you do professionally? Is it just pastoring or is there anything else you do? Yeah, so I, definitely uh, pastoring is, is all-consuming for me, and, and anything else I do is probably a manifestation of that. So I, I, I do also, on a very limited basis, uh, work for uh, a biblical counseling organization uh, just west of us. There's a, um, a, an addiction ministry known as Redemption House in Minnetrista, Minnesota, that I have served for a handful of years. Um, it's, uh, it's a residential care facility for men. Uh, in the midst of addiction, and uh, one morning a week, I do some teaching and some counseling there, and that is a high, high privilege. It's a, it's a great, great ministry, and I'm glad to be involved in that. But uh, for the most part, it's, it's doing what I'm doing, 24 hours a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and again, it's something that me and you share. Um, pastoring is, you know, a, a constant thing. You know, from sun up to sundown. Um, yeah. you know, you, you have to make time for family. So how do you, how do you balance that? you know, uh, how do you make time for family and all that? <laughs> My wife and I were just talking about that. We're still trying to figure it out after two decades. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I would not claim to be, uh, to have, or to be currently knocking the ball out of the park as it relates to you know, getting that, that balance, right. Um, I think, I love my family. I deeply love my family, deeply committed to my wife and my kids. I enjoy being around them. Um, I, I genuinely consider them my first ministry, yes. even though I, I I do feel like a lot of the time they get the leftovers. You know, sometimes I very candidly you know, wonder that I want to make sure I'm giving them my best yeah. um, when I'm when I'm having. A, so a, a discussion like this, a really rich discussion about the Lord and the scriptures and life and so on. There's a little, it's my conscience, it may be the Holy Spirit just in the back of my mind going, are, are you sharing this with your family? Make sure that they're in step with this and you're enjoying things like this as sweet with them as you do with uh, others in ministry. So um, so it's it's not easy. One of the things I try to do too is uh, look at people who do it well. Um, I'm, I'm really uh, Im impressed by men who care well for their families and consider their their home to be their first flock, the first you know, the church that meets under the roof. And so um, it's um, uh, want it to be of one whole cloth and not, you know, two different things. I want to be a pastor at home and a pastor um, with the church family. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I definitely understand that, you know, now that my children are adults, um, sometimes we, you know, we reflect and we, you know, we look back and we say, you know, what did we do well? You know, what, what did we not do well? And, 
we kind of talk with them and share with them about that and let them be candid about those time, type, type of things. And, you know, by the grace of God, we were, you know, able to um, raise them in a very interactive um, discipleship atmosphere that they were truly our first disciples. They, you know, yeah. and just hearing them handle the scriptures, seeing them do ministry on college campuses, you know, far away from us. And they're still, you know, living for Christ when we know that so often children grow up and they leave the home. Right. And they don't they don't attend church anymore. They don't do those things to see our children, you know, grow up and continue to do ministry. Um, that was something that was really heavy in our heart is that, Lord, we're going to serve you, but please take care of our children. Don't let them be Amen. casualties, you know, of the cloth, so to speak. You know, um, we don't want to sacrifice them on the altar of ministry. Um, we want to we want to love them. And and we still have that relationship, as I was sharing off air, you know, spending the weekend with them, going to the movies and, you know, having them in town uh, just exhilarates and refreshes you. Um, because you do want to love them well. You do want to love my wife is my best friend, um, my co-pilot, you know, all those things. And we've been doing this for a long time and, um, and we do it well together. Um, sometimes it's, it's hard to, to be on the same page and do it together. So, um, so Dave, what is your passion? What, what, what are you passionate about, Dave? (laughs) Hmm. Well, I'm grateful that I think the answer to that question dovetails with with what I do and what I love to do. I was pondering that. I, I knew that you'd ask that. So I was thinking about it over the weekend. And <laughs> I, I think it's Ephesians 4, uh, to, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Um, I have, since the moment I came to Christ uh, 22 years ago, God saved me during the summer of 1998. I think as, as quickly as I could learn something or found a resource um, my, I, I've wanted to enjoy the gospel myself and then entrust the gospel to others. Nice. And especially that last part of entrust the gospel to others. One of my favorite things to do is to, is to share resources with people um, and see that they get to dine on the very things that I, my soul has been enjoying. So that I, I think that's it. And I think it reflects Ephesians 4.11, 4.12, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, gave the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So that's my passion, helping others grow. Um, I'd add maybe one more thing to that. Um, within ministry, you, know, you think of preaching and teaching and counseling, which are absolute highlights. They're the centerpiece in, of what I do. But I've joked sometimes that the only thing I love more than preaching is listening to preaching. And I genuinely mean that if I could actually choose this Sunday, whether or not I'd be preaching or, or listening, I would choose listening because um, I want to grow and I want to I want to feed on and thrive in the very things that I want to pass out to other people. And so um, and it's especially a privilege if it's someone that I've had the opportunity to, to train or had some input in to see them to see that fruit come to bear is really cool. So I love I love um, uh, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. I think that's the passion. Yeah. And that's a, that's, you know, my passion as well. Many years ago, um, 17 years ago, 18 years ago now, um, you know, dedicated my life to Christ um, as an adult, uh, you know, grew up and confessed Christ as a child. But knowingly as an adult, um, 18 years ago, the thing that was impressed upon me is to learn, live and then teach what I've learned um, and that Amen. what I've lived. And so learn it, live it, teach it. 
And that was kind of like my calling card is that whatever I learned, I wanted to live it out and then teach it to somebody, share it with somebody, give it to somebody, you know, because at the end of the day, that's real. That's discipleship. That's like the, the mandate on our life to go and make disciples. And so that was huge for me um, when I, I really sensed that in my heart. Learn it, live it, teach it. Um, and in Amen. doing that, I see that as Ephesians 4.12, equipping the saints, yes. you know, edifying the body, you know, uh, to do the work of ministry. And so we share that in common. Uh, there's nothing that encourages me more. I just uh, finished uh, our homiletics class for the ordination group and had six people do their their sermonettes over the weekend and just able to sit with them and encourage them as they went through their some of them it was their very first sermon you know that they've ever done um and to be able to encourage them and share insight with them and just watch them grow over the last 12 weeks of you know going over technical things but then saying you know okay now Fill up and let the Holy Spirit speak, you know, through you, through the yeah. scriptures, through what the word of God says and, and share it with each other. Amazing. And like you said, Amen. I could have sat there all day and just listened to them, you know, over, you know, taking the microphone and wanting to do it myself. And so I think that, that that's Amen. the heart uh, um, that the Apostle Paul talked about pouring himself out uh, on the faith based for the faith of others, just seeing yes. them uh, learn and grow. So we we had a, a long discussion just about um, and, and I coined it making sense of life biblically. Um, so often we talk about things um, and we talk about them in our 21st century language. And then we go to the Bible and we don't see those words there. <laughs> and like, OK, so where is this at? in scripture you know i was listening to one of your podcasts and you were talking about you know um you know a a a case study where there was an an abusive husband and he said well where's that you you go through your strongs you go through your bible dictionary and where's this word and you don't find it you know when you're trying to counsel or disciple people how do you make that jump from what they're saying in the 21st century language to finding it in scripture and being able to say, okay, so here's what God is saying about that um, in the way that he talks versus the way that we talk. <laughs> yeah. It's a wonderful question. Um, well, I would definitely validate that it's, uh, it's, it's kind of the, rever- it's the reverse of preaching. I think this is one of the things that we chatted about that <laughs> from, from the pulpit, we begin in the word of God right. and we, we live in the text and we try to uh, understand it and exegete it and apply it to our lives. And then we, as appropriate, we proclaim that to those that are listening and we look for illustrations and applications, but we're beginning with the word going toward illustration. And then we intend, if it's a good preaching to land an application, people should really feel addressed in their lives and understood. Um, Counseling, biblical counseling and that sort of thing is the exact reverse of that. It's all the same material, but it's in the reverse. And so you begin in the life, you begin in the the practical situation. And um, the way that I've been trained, it's 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 as if when when somebody comes to you with a problem, it's almost as if they've kind of 
vomited everything going on inside of them yes. out right in front of you. Right, right. And it's it's your work to get in there to forgive the unworthy analogy and to begin to make sense of okay, what what is all of this? Because we don't vomit out systematic theology. Um, <laughs> we, we 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 vomit out sin, and so. We begin with sin, and I think uh, you have to have a bedrock conf- uh, belief and conviction that the Bible really is sufficient mm. to address all of the, the care and the cure of the soul. Um, that when when Paul talks about uh, Romans 1.16, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, that word salvation, I think of that as the comprehensive rescue for our lives. Mm. It hits uh, every possible yeah. practical situation ima- imaginable. So part of it is um, listening well to people and then being patient in our reading of the Bible and seeing yeah, what's God's language for this, which is versus what is human language. And so, you know, we can look, we gave the example of abuse. We can look high and low for that word abuse, and we're just not going to find it in, in most faithful English translations. Um, but we will find the word oppression. Well, all of a sudden, all right, now we're we're cooking and we know God's language for the word abuse would be oppression. And that concern is all over Scripture. And then, of course, one more idea is, well, we have lots of ideas about oppression today. So how does God talk about it in context? That's a pretty controversial claim these days anyway, oppressor and oppressed in those categories. So learning God's language and then bringing that language to bear in the particular situation. Um, And one more thought would be just, again, to validate. I think it's 10,000 times harder to counsel someone than it is to preach to someone. (laughs) Preaching is hard. Counseling is just harder. Yes. <laughs> uh, you think it would be easy because it just looks like a conversation, but it's it's so much more. Um, uh, Ed Welch, who's one of my favorite biblical counselors, uh, says um, uh, uh, unbiblical language, un- unbiblical vocabulary casts shadows on the truth. And so we want to locate God's language and God's vocabulary as quickly and as often as we can to diagnose what's going on in our souls because then we have the power of Scripture behind us, and that'll lead us to Jesus, who's the wonderful counselor. Until we get there, I think we're going to see the Bible as insufficient for the care and the cure of the soul. And that's part of the problem. I think people go to a lot of places other than the Bible, even even confessing Christians, because they don't understand how God really does address these things sufficiently in his word. Right. Or maybe they don't believe it. Yeah, either one brings them to the same conclusion. Um, there was a quote that I heard many years ago. Um, I don't listen to this guy, um, too often now, but when I first heard this, um, it was from, a, a author of crazy love, Francis Chan. He said, if you started with the Bible, would you still do things the way you do them? And I've used that quote as a filter to the things that I do. If I start with the Bible, do I still come to the same conclusion? Is that the way that I would do that? You know, and he was talking about things like, you know, um, just, uh, you know, a children's ministry or, you know, different things. You know, should, should we be standing behind a pulpit? You know, and if if are you are we finding our reasons and methods in Scripture? Or are we imposing reasons and methods upon Scripture? And, uh, you know, and, and, and from a technical sense or from, you know, um, a study sense, you have eisegesis, right, versus exegesis. And exegesis is pulling from the text. It's uncovering what's already there. Eisegesis is uh, uh, imposing 
on the text or adding in what you think fits. Um, how often are you, you dealing with that uh, when you're talking to people? Now, th this is it's probably a difficult question because so often people come and they say, well, doesn't the Bible say this? And you're like, oh, how do I address that? You know, and I'll, I'll give you an example, just something to work with. Uh, the, the Bible, doesn't the Bible say that God blesses the child that has his own, <laughs> right? And you're like, okay, where do I go in scripture to address something that's actually not there, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and so mm -hmm. those conversations, how do you deal with those conversations? <laughs> I Well, I think of a common one. I might, I might just, just uh, adjust the example slightly because it's one that I've gotten a lot is the, the classic example of judge not lest you be judged. Yes, there you go. Um, <laughs> yep. And, and people feel, uh, and maybe, maybe justifiably uh, sometimes um, condemned or kind of hammered by Christians for what they believe and so on. And of course, and it doesn't. And then on top of that, you're going to use the words of our Lord, who does indeed say, "Judge not, lest you be judged." What's going on there? Um, well, one thing I, I think it's it. I've heard it, it's the same in study of Scripture as the same in, in real estate, and that would be location, location, location. <laughs> right. So that that phrase, "Judge not, lest you be judged," Matthew seven one, is followed by a, a portion of Scripture where Jesus is actually teaching us how to judge one another yeah. <laughs> like exactly. that's exactly what the paragraph is for and so he says um as you go to judge just remember the measure you use it will be measured to you it's it's a warning it's not a for he's not forbidding anything right right he's warning and then he says by the way you know that that uh that that little, that little splinter that you see in somebody else's eye. Okay, you have a real big railroad tie just <laughs> balancing across your face right now. Right, right. So I want you first to remove that. And then he says, now that it's out of the way, you will see clearly yeah. to address the speck in your brother's eye. In other words, you go ahead and judge now that you've uh, repented, you've come to understand and embrace that you are complicit to some degree in the same kind of sin that you're, the reason you have 20-20 vision for somebody else's sin is probably because you're familiar with it. Right, you know, right. It takes one to know one. <laughs> I think that's what he's saying. So that would be one thought is that that actual judge not list you be judged is in a context of helping us judge one another well. And then the second idea would just be, well, pick your scripture because Paul says in 1 Corinthians, five. what is it? Um, five, yeah, 1 Corinthians 5. 5, thank yeah. you, five, five twelve. yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, he says, what have I to do with judging outsiders? <laughs> and we go, amen, and amen, amen to that. We're, 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 we are, our role is not to condemn or to judge outsiders. But then he says one of the most, uh, one of the verses that really flies under the radar for people, is it not those in the church whom you are to judge? Yes. <laughs> and he leaves it as a, as a rhetorical question because he thinks the answer is so darn obvious. Of course it's those in the church you are to judge. Amen. Amen. And amen. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. So at any rate. Yeah, I, I think you make a good point. I think you make a good point because that's a conversation I have a lot. That's why I knew exactly what scripture you were talking about in, in yeah. Corinthians, because um, yeah. Jesus would be contradicting, you know, Paul or Paul would be contradicting Jesus, um, yes. you know, in what he's saying, if that's what Jesus meant, that no, don't judge anybody. And you hear that so often. 
And you say, well, well, maybe I'm not supposed to say anything. Maybe, I, but then you know, you hear scriptures like Hebrews uh, three three thirteen to exhort one another daily, so that Amen. you don't fall into the deceitfulness of sin. And so, if I'm encouraging you daily to follow scripture and to be obedient, that may to a person who does not want that accountability may seem like I'm judging them. It may feel like, oh, you're putting pressure on me. And so, so often we're having conversations about things that, you know, God uh, has asked us to do. Um, and we're still trying to figure out, well, what does that look like in real time? What, is that, what does that look like uh, in, in situations where um, somebody comes to me and they quote something out of context? And now I say, um, well, wait a minute. Uh, l let me take a minute and take you back to scripture. And I think you've been doing this for a long time, right? You've been doing this for a long time. So you have a handle on a lot of scripture. Now, none of us know it all, right? We, we th 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 There's still some things in the Bible that we're like, well, I'm not really sure what that means. All I know is that this is what the context is. And so I can't actually tell you, I was doing a study on some angelology and I was like, man, there's some verses in here that I'm like, I don't really know what this means. I just know what this says here. And so I can't sure. pretend to know. So when you're dealing with people or, or when you're trying to mentor people who haven't done this as long as you, what are some of the things that you, you know, advise them to do when they run across um, conversations with people and they may not have answers? They may not know exactly how to approach, you know, the, the conversation as well as you do. Can you and can you give me a specific example? Maybe? Um, you know, somebody comes to me and says, well, I'll show you in Ezra where God told them to divorce their wives. And so I believe that God wants me to divorce my wife and they show this person scripture and they're like, oh, wow, this is, wow, I've never read this before. What do I do with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, good question. So there's, and that's uh, an issue of interpretation or, you know, what we call hermeneutics, um, thinking carefully about what scripture, uh, what it meant, um, first of all, in its context. So we've already mentioned context. Um, a next step would be observation of the text. Do I really have it correctly? So, for example, scripture can be descriptive of something without being prescriptive of something. That's good. Um, the Bible, <laughs> the Bible reports a lot of truth and a lot of reality, um, like a like a movie camera does. You know, the, the Lord reports adultery. The Lord reports all kinds of things, murder, and it doesn't mean that he's uh, uh, he's approving. Right. Um, and then I think we think about those, whether we start in the Old Testament and think about the law of God uh, morally or we move into the New Testament and think about the law of Christ. Mm -hmm. And I that's one of my favorite things is to think about, well, when it comes to that matter of divorce, if Jesus is the final word and if the written word is all moving toward the incarnate word, Jesus, not for nothing, but let's go ahead and let Jesus have the final word. <laughs> right. right. Um, he is really strong against sort of the, the easy, no-fault divorce culture. And we know that not because he lived in the 21st century, but because he lived in the first century. Yeah. And uh, among the Jewish leaders, it was it was a culture that was rife with being a, a very lenient policy on men divorcing their wives. And Jesus clearly hated it. And he was doing, um, 
he was he was doing the work of drawing out of the law of Moses what what the intent behind the text really means. And then, although I do believe he uh, he gave uh, one concession uh, to divorce, not a command, but a right. concession with regard to adultery, and even there, well-meaning Christians can disagree over the nature of that. Um, he doesn't leave the door wide open. Right. Um, he is a, um, a, a till death um, kind of thinker about marriage. He's designed it that way. I think because he loves the church till his death. Uh, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, and so. Yeah, I would be, I think, um, again, wanting that new believer, if they've heard some um, some thinking along those lines, uh, to, to look at the broader picture. H- how does that example in Ezra dovetail with the rest of Scripture, whether yeah. it's the Old Testament, co- Old Covenant under Moses, or specifically the words of Christ? Not as if the words of Christ have preeminence. They, they don't. I mean, the, the, the red letters are just as powerful as the black letters in Scripture. They're all at the same level. But if Jesus addressed it, he did it to bring sharpness and clarity to it. And that's an example where I don't think we could think very long that the Lord um, would ever encourage us to move in a direction of no-fault divorce because um, that's not his approach in the Sermon on the Mount. Right. And and, and I think that's that that's really good. And I like you said descriptive instead of prescriptive, you know, because yeah. so often we'll look at things and we'll look at an event that happened and say, okay, well, the Bible is teaching this, but what if the Bible is just recording history uh, in this particular situation? And this is not a normative, you know, um, I'll I'll give you one like, um, 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 I think it's Acts 19, um, where the Lord did great miracles through Paul, where they were taking his aprons and handkerchiefs and People were getting healed and some people think, all right, well, let's start anointing handkerchiefs and things and sending them to people. And I know that sounds crazy, but, you know, and for 1999, you can have this anointed handkerchief and you'll be healed. But was that the point? I don't know that that was the point of this particular passage. He wasn't prescribing that that's how you do this. He was reporting, you know, or describing what happened. And so often in scripture, we run into things like that and we say, well, how do we determine? And so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, put you back in a corner a little bit. How do you determine prescription over description? Yeah. Some of that is just uh, the genres of scripture. And so, for example, in fact, I was preaching yesterday from, from Ecclesiastes chapter 10 Mm -hmm. and that's wisdom literature. Mm -hmm. And yet, as you think about the palette of God, you know, what are God's literary preferences? What kinds of things does he like? Well, he likes all kinds of literature. Um, The Lord, I mean, you can make a real strong case. He loves narrative. He loves stories, loves telling stories. Um, Now it's true story. It's his story, but stories nonetheless. The Lord loves poetry. Um, He loves prophecy and apocalyptic literature. Uh, the Lord uh, is committed to epistles and letter writing, and then, of course, to wisdom literature. So all those genres are there. And I think it's important, particularly, to interpret the narrative, so the stories, in light of the didactic, um, the epistles, or the really clear uh, law language in Scripture. Yeah. Um, I heard Paul Tripp put it one way, this way, that the Bible, hold up my Bible as you and I are looking at each other, <laughs> the Bible a theologically annotated narrative. Wow. And that may sound like a really high-flying way to say it, but just the idea that the Bible is a book with God's notes in it. <laughs> so as we read of polygamy in the Old Testament, that is 
um, uh, really clearly, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not relativized, but, uh, well, standardized in the way that God in Genesis 2 and then Jesus once again in Matthew 19 talks about the nature of marriage. Right. And it shouldn't surprise us that there's hardly one polygamous marriage in the Bible that goes well. Um, all of those guys had their hands full. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and so I don't think the Lord flatters uh, multiple wives or multiple husbands, for that matter, in this at the same time. Um, so I think that the notes, uh, so the didactic passages get the opportunity to interpret the narrative passages. That provides control. So the Bible is a is a is a book with God's notes already woven into it and the notes in Paul's epistles for example um, explain the nature of the atonement well Luke just right. tells us the fact of the atonement right and he was crucified <laughs> well Paul will unfold that for 13 letters right <laughs> what that means right that's good yeah. you know because at the end of the day we've got to take the whole Bible you know so often when when I'm teaching you know um, our, our Bible study teachers or what have you, even the ones that are just going to do it every now and then, I tell them, you know, number one, you have immediate context, right? Before and after a particular verse. But then you have the chapter context, right? And you have the book context. <laughs> then you have, you know, the Testament context. And then you have the full Bible context. And getting people to think that if if I can't determine it from, you know, the immediate I've got to widen my gaze and then widen my gaze and then widen my gaze to the point where I can see how it fits in. Because if I interpret this based upon just what I see here, I might be missing how it fits into the full narrative because it's one story. It's not all these different stories. It's God's story of redemption. And he's telling it through, like you said, the different genres, but it's still one story. There's one main story here that man sin, <laughs> God had a plan to redeem, that redemption comes through Jesus and it will be fulfilled one day completely in his presence. And so that's yeah. the, the, the overall overarching story. And so we want to know how these passages fit in, even when, like you said, it's a narrative or it, it, it's something that like, well, man, this is interesting. And so I don't want to turn something, you know, that he's reporting on into okay now i'm going to teach this you know um and i think people struggle with that i think they struggle with you know knowing what's what and i, and I like the way you you kind of explain that is that you balance it a lot of times we use reference scriptures to prove our point instead of using the reference scripture to support what god is already saying you know yes. one of the things i tell my class is that um, we don't want to say things with the bible we want to say what the Bible's already saying, <laughs> Amen. Amen. you know, because there's a bunch of people out there saying things with the Bible, right? Yeah. You know, I go to the Bible and I want to say something and I find a scripture and I say it, but God is already saying something through that passage. He already had something that he was trying to um, communicate to us, uh, for lack of a better phrase. Um Amen. I, I don't want to bore people with theology and, you know, a systematic, you know, didactic, you know, literature, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, how important is it for us to really study the Bible in context? How important mm. really is that? I mean, it's 
I, I think it's I think it's everything because without without context, we, we have no meaning um, when it comes to understanding what Scripture says. Uh, there's context and observation and then meaning and application. Um, if you can just remember coma, C-O-M-A, context, observation, meaning, application. Nice. Um, there's no meaning without context. It's not even worth asking what does it mean until we know what it meant. <laughs> and we don't know what it meant without context and observation. So it's really everything. And then one thing I would say about that is that's why we want the, the word of God thundering across our souls every day. I mean, we want to be we want to live our lives before an audience of one. And therefore, before we would stand up before a congregation or before we would meet with a counselee or before we'd get with a neighbor, we want to get alone with the Lord and enjoy his word and allow him to address us and uh, work through all of scripture, uh, all of our lives. Um, my, my favorite thing to do is just to plow right through the Bible once a year. I, I don't go fast, um, but and I'm a pretty slow reader, but I'm, I'm told that in uh, I think it's 12 to 14 minutes a day. Um, if you read the Bible every day, you could read the entire Bible. Uh, it's about three, three to four chapters, three and a half chapters a day. Um, we, we can afford that. Uh, we, we got 12 minutes a day, and, and it makes us uh, better preachers and teachers and counselors when we see the whole counsel of God. Yeah, right now our church is doing through the Bible. Um, and so we've been reading through the Bible and it really the, the the heart is is like you said to be able to see the bible in its full context because we're also doing our bible studies on certain you know books of the bible um and then you're preaching and teaching on sundays um and what i found is that a lot of people who are doing it are seeing the bible in its full context they're actually yeah. able to see how it all fits together so often we're reading here and we're reading there and we're reading this verse and that verse and we don't see the connection in how Old Testament, New Testament, they're not in disagreement. They are sure. totally agreeing with each other. As a matter of fact, there's things in the New Testament that we wouldn't understand unless we had read the Old Testament. And then there's things in, uh, in the Old Testament that the New Testament brings clarity to. You know, right. he says, this is what they're talking about. And you're like, whoa, wow, this is amazing. And so yes. this journey of studying the word of God and making sense of our life biblically is, is, is really about seeing it in its context. And I like what you said, coma, you know, uh, context, observation. What was the other part? The meaning, meaning and application. And application. Um, I yeah. like that. Context, uh, observation, meaning and application. Um, this, if, allows... by the way, if any of your listeners are interested mm -hmm. that, so that's not original with me. It right. comes from a, a pastor in Chicago named David Helm, H-E-L-M. Oh. Uh, David Helm wrote, wrote a book called one-to-one -one Bible reading. And so that's his little analogy. It's a t an analogy. What's the word? Uh, acronym. What do you call Acronym. Thank you. Um, it's a terrible acronym. Right? <laughs> right. When you think about the Bible, you don't want to go into a coma. Go into a coma. Other, than word, other than the word coma, it's, it's real simple. And boy, it, for example, it really keeps your small group Bible study on track. If you, if you can stay with coma, um, you won't have people saying, well, this is what I think it means to me. Um, they, they won't. They, they will say, well, what was the context that Paul was writing in? Right. What did he actually say? And then how do I draw meaning out of those observations? And then now that we know what it meant, 
here's here's what it appears to mean today right. and and it keeps us on track yeah that that's definitely good because that was something that years ago we had i you know i had to get away from it had to you know lead our people away from it but so often somebody would be in a bible study and say well what i think it means and i was yeah. like whoa we can't do that it's not yeah. what we think it means and and when i'm teaching homiletics i tell them you know and it comes from david chapel's um book you know he talks about you know when you're speaking authority of scripture you can't say well what i think or i believe no here's what the word of god says and that's yeah. why you know he focuses on expository um Amen. preaching versus topical or textual or any other form not that these are bad and that they don't have their their uses but expository is a better diet you know, Amen. for teaching people not only what the Bible says, but teaching them how to study it themselves, because you're walking people through passages and you're saying, this is how you look at the Bible. You look at it within its context. You look at you observe it, um, find the meaning and then apply it. And application is always last. Right. I don't want to yes. go to a text and start applying it before I read the context, observed it you know, understood what the meaning was. And I think, yes. I think the last thing I'll, I'll have you talk on is why, why is it so important to not apply it to me before <laughs> I dive in and, and, and uh, I say, okay, look, this is what it means to me. Well, do you know what it meant before you can yes. say what it means? Yes. Yeah, one of the reasons we shouldn't jump too quickly to, to application is because, and this this sounds a little um, uh, off the mark to some people's ears, but the Bible wasn't written to us. Yes, uh, none of it was. It was written for us. Yes, absolutely was written for us, but it was not written to us. None none of it was, and so we're we're reading somebody else's mail, and so we need to understand first of all again what it meant, and then to what it means. And it's funny, just to bring the conversation full circle, I think this is why I find counseling so wonderfully challenging and much harder <laughs> is because we bring the same technique to counseling, but we begin in, well, application is where they want you to begin. Right. And so in order to do that well, we've got to start in context, but the context is not scripture. The context is somebody's soul. Yeah. So now I've got to get to know somebody's life. And, and whatever you and your wife did last night, whatever blow up, that <laughs> right. probably is predicated upon the first 46 years or what, I don't care how old you were, said you were 48. Right. I want to learn a whole lot more about you, your context. I want to observe you. I want to uh, make sure that I know you, in fact, and that's usually counseling doesn't go well unless you do that anyway. People don't care how much you know till they know how much, how much you, you care. care. And so as you are exegeting a person, yes. which is just it's so much more slippery. I think that exiting scripture is hard enough. A human being, I mean, just throw your hands up and think, my goodness, we are complicated and we are. Um, but that's the trick. You're, you're doing coma backwards, essentially, but then you've got to start, they want you to start with application and you need to start with context, observation, meaning of your life. And then we move to scripture for the answers uh, that are always there in the gospel. That's the matter of first importance. In fact, I'll say one more thing too. I, uh, Larry Crabb, who just went to be with the Lord not long ago, he was a counselor. Crabb said, if you don't know what the gospel has to do with your problem, you don't understand your problem. 
Yeah, and I might add, you don't understand the gospel either. <laughs> right. And I think, I think that's so on point because at the end of the day, um, it's not our job to fix people, right? It's our job to lead them to Christ. <laughs> and if we lead them to Christ, then he does the work. Our job is just to facilitate this meaning, this, you know, this, this, this relationship. How can I keep leading you back to Christ? And in order to do that, yeah, I actually do have to understand where you're coming from. A lot of times when yeah. I'm sitting and, and I'm doing, you know, counseling or discipleship as, as we call it, um, I'm asking them about uh, them. They're bringing me a problem and they want me to fix this problem. Right. And when we settle this argument, right, between the spouse or, you know, in this situation, my God sister did this or did that. And what I'm trying to figure out is, so why do you feel the way that you feel? Why did this bother you so much? What happened before this? And so I'm I'm trying to exegete (laughs) the person so that I can understand how to apply God's truth to the situation, because so often. I don't, if I don't have enough information, I, I, I actually don't know where to go. And I just actually said that to a lady one time. She brought me a situation. I said, you know what? I actually don't have enough information to give you an answer to that. We would have yeah. to sit down and talk. And she was sure. surprised by that. But I, I felt totally bankrupt to be able to give her an, a real answer. You know, and I don't know if that endeared me to her or not. She probably was like, what's wrong with this guy? He's supposed to have an answer. Right. Right. So last thing, I I know I said it was the last thing. What do you do when people just expect you to have an answer? (laughs) Just expect you. You're the pastor. You're supposed to have an answer. (laughs) Yeah. So I think if there's if there's really a question, I don't know the answer to which there are plenty of those (laughs) uh, saying I don't know. Uh, it ruins their illusions about you. I mean, if they've if they've really come to, I mean, they've put you in the place of uh, you know kind of a messianic kind of figure. You need right. to burst that bubble sooner yes. rather than later, so they don't have a uh, they're not riding for a greater fall. Um, so saying I don't know is a, is a wonderful answer. I don't think it's a way that we ultimately we can't live in I don't know forever. Right. Uh, we need to say I don't know, and I'm going to figure out the answer to that, and I'll get back to you. Um, but if they're looking for um, boy, assurances about how their lives are going to turn out if they do this and that. Um, uh, there, there is no, um, you, know, you think about it, whether they're talking about the, the healing of a relationship or, or um, long-term repentance or things like that, that I just I don't have a crystal ball. I have the Holy Bible, but I don't have a crystal ball. And so we can't oftentimes grant people uh, the assurances that they want. What we should be doing is pointing them to something much more firm, which are the promises of God and building people's lives around the promises of God. In fact, I'd add, if I can do this, when I think of God's promises, I think of five P's that are really important for me. And they're all about the person of Christ. So I, the promises of God that I want to help people lean into, number one, are the pardon of Christ. Number two, the presence of Christ. Number three, uh, the power of Christ. Number four, the pleasure of Christ. And I mean our joy in him, right. our pleasure in him. And then fifth, the people of Christ. Um, all of the promises of God, I think, are you can file them under one of those five. And I want to help people be satisfied with that rich, rich food for their lives. No matter how difficult my life is, if those promises are not enough for me, I need to readjust my expectations. 
Um, I, if I can be, I mean, just uh, candid. I mean, I deserve God's everlasting boot heel for all of eternity for my rebellion against him. And the fact that, that Christ took my penalty on the cross and absorbed the white hot holy wrath of God for my sin and offers me um, full and free justification because of what Jesus has done, not what I've done. God doesn't love me because I'm lovely. He loves me because he is love. Yes, That's the arrangement. And he gives me all of these promises. These five categories are representative of hundreds of promises in the Bible. Yes, That's what we can counsel people. And that brings people through depression, anxiety, addiction, marriage, anger issues, parenting, the, the whole lot. Um, but we need to help people get assurance where the Bible offers it and not in the shifting sands of worldly thinking. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, man, I, you know, I knew that this was going to be like this. <laughs> and I was like, man, I don't know how we're going to wrap up our conversation because me and you can talk for hours about these things. Uh, but I, I just really, I thank you for taking the time um, and coming on and, and, and talking with me. Um, I really enjoy um, your podcast um, our common salvation. Please go and check out Dave's uh, podcast. Um, if you really want to learn, if you want to learn, if you listen to this guy as we have been talking, that he is full of, of wisdom and and knowledge, and and he'll have to tell you all his credentials. I don't know if he's he's not a big guy on credentials. Very humble, but very heavily credentialed individual. But what I love about him is his humility. Um, and I just want to thank you, Dave, for coming on. Um, and I'm going to ask you to do one last thing is just pray for our listeners. Um, pray that that they would make sense of their life through Scripture, that they would be able to find, like you said, those those, those truths that could help them navigate through life and grow in their walk with God. And so um, if you would please do that, that would be amazing. Yeah, Amen. I'd love yeah, to, brother. You. Father in heaven, um, what a, an extraordinary honor it is uh, to talk with Anthony this afternoon and to ponder these things together. Lord, we, we love you because you loved us first. And your word um, makes sense of our lives. And we have tasted and seen that you are good. And Lord, to the degree that we've done that, how could we keep that to ourselves? Lord, it's, it's like it's like each of us have a, have a pile of gold in our backyard and we just want to encourage our neighbors to grab their buckets and come on over and and, and get the, the riches because you have made us wealthy in your word um, for for everything, for all of life and godliness, like Peter says in Second Peter one. And so how I pray, Father, for any listener uh, who may be with us right now, uh, that they would know some of these promises. First of all, Lord, that there would be nobody within earshot of my voice that that does not at one at one point in their lives come to know the pardon of Jesus Christ. Yes. Thank you, Father, for Holy Week that's upcoming. How I pray that every man and woman and boy and girl um, that is uh, listening to, to this podcast would come to know forgiveness in God through Christ. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray too, Father, that we would know your presence through Jesus. Lord Jesus, you, you tell us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. 
and and Lord, everything else will. <laughs> everything else in us. And so we thank you for the third promise of, of power. Um, Lord, I, I think of uh, Paul who says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Um, and uh, my, uh, on, uh, let's see, uh, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than all of them, yet it was not I, but God working with me and working through me. I pray, Father, that the listeners of this podcast would come to know the power of the gospel, not just its pardon, but its power, its strength to overhaul and change our lives and give us strength. May, they, may these listeners live in the strength that God supplies to the glory that Christ deserves. And then, Father, I pray we wouldn't just be people of power, but people of pleasure that Psalm 1611 would be true of everyone here. And I pray, especially for my brother, Anthony, that he would experience in a fresh way this season, this upcoming year, that in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. And then finally, Father, thank you so much for the body of Christ. Thank you for the gift and promise of your people. Lord Jesus, you are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that is really sweet music to our ears because after 2020 is a year that brought many of us to the ring and we feel a little bit worse for wear. Uh, Lord, 2020 didn't phase you. You are working. Your father is working and we want to join you in this work. So would you build your church and for uh, your glory, for our joy and the ingathering and upbuilding of uh, your church and the mission that we've been given to be and make disciples of Jesus. Would you set these listeners free to love Christ and to help others love him, to enjoy the gospel themselves and to entrust the gospel to others. All of this, Lord, in Jesus name. Amen. Amen and amen. Remember, folks, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Thank you for listening. Share this with somebody. God bless you.